I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. We are at Vital Root in Denver. This is still technically Denver, right? I think so. <laughs> and I'm sitting down Slightly. with Paul. Paul is Emily's husband. So Emily was episode 14 published yesterday. So this is the first back-to-back -back, and I'm gonna have to start adding like a counseling, marriage counseling element to my <laughs> podcast. So Paul, uh, just say a little bit about what you do. Hey, um, so Paul Ballas. I'm a uh, senior product designer at Oracle and I've been in the technology world uh, pretty much my entire career. Um, I uh, started at a startup back in Washington, D.C., which was my uh, first job, and uh, I didn't even know it was a startup, actually. I was just uh, thrilled that someone would hire me. Hang it out. Uh, and yeah. I was an early stage um, employee at this uh, startup, and we grew from C to A to B to acquisition in about four years, and it was all rainbows and butterflies, and it was fun. Uh, and then from there, I went on to Deloitte Digital, uh, which is, um, most people are probably familiar with Deloitte, so it's just the digital agency consulting arm of Deloitte, so we work on your typical creative agency work. So mobile apps, uh, web apps, and uh, branding for mainly the Fortune 500 and governments. Uh, and then from there, I went to, I, about that same time, I moved with my wife Emily to Denver, and because uh, her company, The Motley Fool, opened an office in, in Lakewood, in Denver. Uh -huh. And um, as long as I could get on an airplane, Deloitte was like, cool, live wherever you want. Um, but I decided to kind of make a dive back into startups. So I went to this startup called Pana, which is, uh, they went to Techstars in 2014. Okay. And uh, it was a, con a travel, a mobile travel application that helped you plan, manage, and book your travel. And uh, it started off consumer. And we hit a few bumps along the road, and we actually moved into business travel. Oh. And it was all, and that's actually where we made some like fantastic transitions. Um, but through you know a couple different, uh, the company was just I love the company. Thanks. And uh, all the employees, but I just decided it wasn't you know wasn't growing in a direction that was right for my family at the time. So I decided to move over to like a larger company, and that's how I moved over to Oracle. And Oracle had acquired a company called Add This. So you're probably familiar with Add This. They yes, have, I'm very uh, familiar with okay, Add This. Yeah, they have the plus Man. button. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah they own, so they, have this, they own sharing. And Oracle had acquired them as part really? of... Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that was one of a number of... That was one of a number of acquisitions that Oracle played into the ad tech space. So I work for the ad tech arm of Oracle. Nice. Yeah, I had no idea. I, I ha when I had it, when I was using Add This actively, it was the same problem as any bookmarks that I had. Like I just, it became a massive pot of things. <laughs> but I know it gave a lot of social data to the sites and stuff. That's cool. I, I didn't know Oracle. I didn't know Oracle was in the ad business. So um, that's interesting. So what came first, design or tech for you? Tech. Tech. So I had been coding since I was a little kid, um, like on Angel Fire and Lycos and um, GeoCities and all those cool websites. If you remember those? Um, yeah, GeoCities came up in another episode, so that's good. <laughs> so, but I kind of lost track of that a little bit in high school and college. I'm more concerned about skateboarding. 
Um, and I got my degree in college in political science because um, I like to read a lot and I thought that was a major that could allow me to read. <laughs> and uh, there's not much you can do with political science. And I was like, my backup plan was always to go to law school. Yep, that's mine. Thank you. You guys all set? Yeah, all set. Yeah. Great. Yeah, sorry, I should pause. So we're at Vital Root, um, and it's mostly vegan, like uh -huh. you said. So I got Impossible Burgo bon Burger Bon Me Tacos, and you just got the tofu one. With tofu. And so, uh, the waffle fries are amazing. <laughs> I didn't know they were going to come as waffle fries. Yeah, my wife and I are, I say we're 90% vegan. Um, obviously, you know, we're not so restrictive, but we try to be as plant-based. It both started off as like health reasons. We both have a few health things that just worked better for us. And then after we started doing it, it just we learned more about environmental reasons and uh, other things uh, that just kind of help add fuel to the fire. Yeah. Well, I'm a little overweight, but I would be obese if it wasn't for my wife being 90% <laughs> vegan. Because I go, the problem is I go, now you took me to a super healthy place, but if I like, go to a non super healthy place, like when I went with your wife, I ordered the wings. You know, I, I have to order everything. I go over the top. It's like a kid who's not allowed to have candy at home. Um, so anyways, you were saying, so you went from tech Coder as a kid, GeoCities, oh, all yeah, that right. stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So I was in college, and I was a political science major. Poli -sci. And my backup was law school. But somewhere along by the way, I decided I wouldn't go to law school, because I was like, look, I really don't want to become a lawyer. It's just, I just thought that was like a, a thing you could do. Uh, as it, it, it sounded nice at family gatherings, right, to say I'm going to go to law school. Of course. It was a safe answer. I didn't get too many other questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I graduated and I kind of dillied a little bit and just messed around um, and I didn't know what to do. My dad was like, how about you go get your MBA? Because he's always a business guy. He had done a number of startups himself. Okay. So that sounds practical. Uh, and I got my MBA. And uh, well, and congrats, that's a process. Yeah, and um, I, uh, you don't really have to pick like a concentration, you know, it's kind of like a general MBA, but I, I, I did have a general interest in finance. So I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina afterward, and I worked for Bank of America, that's our headquarters. And I was a trader, so I helped trade uh, funds for mutual funds. Oh, wow. So mutual funds are based off of stocks, right? And I would trade the, the stocks inside those. And it was cool, I had like a Bloomberg terminal, and I could call down to the traders on Wall Street, and I was a, responsible for way too much money at way too young of an age. Um, but the crash happened, and I was hired in 2008, right after I graduated. and. Um, by the end of the year, the crash had happened and Bank of America was laying off a number of employees and I was part of the layoffs. They ended up like closing down some of the funds that I was part of. Um, so I moved back home and uh, I didn't know what to do. So I, I, I tried out a few odd jobs here or there. And I had just to pay bills, but nothing I really enjoyed. And my mom at the time said, hey, how about you uh, find something with the internet? You really love computers, you know, you're always messing with them. So I found this company called Hello Wallet which made personal finance software yeah. uh, on Craigslist, of all places. And uh, they interviewed like on folding tables and I just thought, and they were like, they didn't wear suits and ties and I thought this was fun. So they wanted someone who knew finance and I knew some of that. And they also wanted someone who could do coding uh, and translate it. So I was hired originally as a PM. And, uh, and I, but I would do a lot of front end development and I kind of did everything. I was doing a lot of wireframes. Um, and somewhere along the way, maybe at like the one year mark, I was like, hey, I don't really want to do this like 
PM type work anymore. I really just like doing designs and I've been drawing for like ever. Um, so uh, they were really gracious in uh, helping me take a bunch of classes, um, both online and in person to like craft more of like the UX design. And I did that and being a startup too, I kind of bounced around in various roles and you help with like all sorts of stuff. Um, Everything from like business development to coding to you know cleaning the toilets, right? Um, but UX is what I gravitated toward. And after the company got acquired, um, I went over to like digital, and that's where I was hired as the UX designer there. And I kind of just continued from on, onward from there. That's a really cool story. I uh, I'm glad you got out of the finance space because I did the whole subprime house thing in. Uh, California. So my uh, my affinity for the financial world is, although your wife is in the financial world, but that's more cool. No, it's not very high. <laughs> but I mean that's crazy. So kid, coder, poli sci, finance, oh maybe law, maybe law finance. <laughs> And then into design and, and front-end dev. That's awesome. So what what's your favorite programming language these well, days? Well, I, I really don't know. I mean, I've done plenty of back-end stuff, but I don't really enjoy it too much. So I'm all front-end. So I've, I've taught classes in General Assembly and like front-end programming. So HTML, CS, and JavaScript. Okay. So JavaScript, um, I would say, actually, no, I'm going to take that back. And I'm, you know, being design first, like, uh, anything style related, it's all CSS. Even though I haven't probably written pure CSS in a long time, it's all been SAS, but um, I just love pulling it all together and, and making it have that cohesive feel. Wow. I, I suck at CSS. <laughs> I know the few times that I've worked on it for Sweet Code, actually, recently, I'm always relearning. Like the structure just boggles my mind. So what, what do you think, you know, what are your opinions on what's going on these days and where the back-end development, and because this is something I actually don't even understand that well, the intersection of back-end development and front-end, especially as it relates to now that people are doing, you know, daily releases, like they're not two-week sprints anymore, it's like very mm -hmm. frequent releases, like how does the communication work, what do you, what do, you do to like manage the process? Um, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend that works at Facebook as an engineer, and he was saying they push. Uh, they have like two big um, public releases twice a day. Twice a day. Pretty much every day. Well, I think Monday through Friday. <laughs> I don't know if it's on the weekends too. <laughs> Weekend. And um, they're on call. And I imagine. I think some of the other large companies are on par with that. Yeah. As opposed to this, like that traditional waterfall model, where it looked the same for six months or a year, or even two years, and then you'd have this like swooping change. So um, I think it's really, really important whether you're at a startup or a large company to have a really well-designed design system and have everyone bought into that design system. Um, so knowing the voice and tone, knowing uh, like the grid system, how does it work from like responsive, like web to responsiveness? Um, what is like what's our difference? in colors and typography, uh, icon, iconography. So that way, um, when you're thinking about new features and releases, it all kind of has like this cohesive feel. Um, and that way you're not designing, if you're like redesigning a house, you don't have like one group redesigning the kitchen 
in one group redesigning the upstairs bedroom, and they look totally different, right? They might have unique features. That's a good way to put it. But, you know, it has the same, okay, this has the same it? paint colors, this has the same floor, and this has the same, like, motif, right? When we do our basement, it's all me. The, no, nothing in the house, our house, is, is anything that I pick. So when I do the basement, it's going to be totally different. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the developer that went rogue. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, we're not Google. We, can't, we, don't, we don't have time for a design system. And I don't think that's true. Because um, I, um, you know, I have a number of friends at smaller companies. And I've, I've seen them. And I'm talking like, you know, like a 20-person company, right? And they either work with an agency that's helped them develop their design system, um, or they have like a startup a designer in-house. And part of his job is like building and maintaining that design system, and then working with building engineers. How, how do you communicate the design system? Like, is there like a standard communication mechanism, or is it? I'm not sure if there's a standard one. The one that you know I've always kind of worked in is like you know we build out. Um, the components like in Sketch. Uh, you, it doesn't really matter if it's Illustrator, whatever tool you want to use. Um, and then those Sketch become like these Lego building blocks that then you can then build um, your mockups from. So, okay, hey, let's design this user flow. Let's design this like login flow. And it's going to be like 10 screens. And here, and like here's the success state, here's the error state, here's the wrong password state. And you have all these components that you kind of like plug and play. So the inputs, the buttons, the background color, the header. Um, the errors, form field validation, etc., um, that you could like play with, uh, and then um, you disseminate that through like to the engineers and PMs. So that way, whether it's um, a PM uh, says, "Hey, we we need to design this like new um, part of the application that we've never done before," it's like, "Okay, cool. We don't have like we can design the ideas and the functionality." from scratch but like we already have all the lego pieces to like put this together um that has so it's gonna have the same look and feel as like the rest of the site you know what you made me think of and this is kind of a story where from me from outside in being the user i could tell that the communication of the design system or vice versa went radically wrong there's a and i'm gonna call them straight out i don't even care um this company called bill.com that's who we do all of our contributor payment processing through. When we first started working with Bill.com, you know, their user interface wasn't amazing, but it was good and it worked really well and you expected thing, like everything was where you expected it to be. Then they did this whole revamp that they were super excited about clearly based on how they put it, put it in a social media. And as soon as they launched it, it was awful. Like everybody on our in our accounting team everywhere was confused i was confused i didn't know how to pay people i didn't know how to look up invoices things got lost they started fixing it a little bit but it's still a disaster and from i mean i'm technical but i'm not a designer from outside looking in to me what it looked like was they hired a new maybe team or individual who had a very clear ux idea but didn't bother spending any time kind of thinking about the development or there was a weird mesh where the developers got the new UX idea and then kind of just did what they wanted. Like if they like outsourced the UX and then just did whatever they wanted with it and it didn't align with actually any user flows. Very frustrating. <laughs> and that kind of stuff, you know, 
in the modern world and the modern users, you can't get away with that for very long. Yeah, I think for a long time, you could basically say, hey, it works. And if, even if you don't have the instruction, you need an instruction manual, it works. And people were just kind of like willing to put in the time yeah, to learn take something. it or leave it. But now, we're just so, uh, our attention spans, I feel like, have gotten a little bit shorter. Uh, and if something is not intuitive, we're just going to go on to the next thing because there's like a nine, there's so many other competitors and solutions right. out there. Yeah, it all, I almost considered leaving Bill.com. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the data itself and kind of been entrenched in our process, I would have. Because a very usable, simple platform turned into this insane. And you could tell that they thought they were adding new functionality when all the new functionality wasn't helpful at all. Yeah. And I, I think a company that's been doing this well is like Google over the last uh, maybe like three years, really. Uh, they've been really hitting it strong is that if you've noticed, like, it started with a few of their core apps. Um, but now, if you look at Gmail, Google Calendar, Google Flights, Google Drive, they all have a, a, a consistency to them that's like standard. The buttons have the same padding, have the same border radius, have the same, it's the same like typeface, and color. Um, things are in the same positions generally. You have that universal header that's across all of them. You can click on those like nine dots in the upper right and you can switch between applications. From the general like sense of ease about like, okay, no matter which Google application that I am using, there's familiarity. There's familiarity yeah. and that just, um, I, I know how to do that. Yeah. I have noticed the random um, A-B testing that goes on every now and then where something mm -hmm. suddenly changes and you're like, whoa. And I, I appreciate it because I think that's really cool. I know that they're doing like canary releases and, um, but yeah, you're right. There's familiarity. There's a, and there's that, a and comfort they, level. Yeah, and um, and there, and it's hard, right? Because I think and Google's been doing it right too. Is they didn't just look at like Google Flights, you know, before it was very like your class. It looked kind of just like text based. Um, here's your flight, book it, and then one day you logged in and it was like beautiful. Um, and I feel like with design systems, big design sweeping changes, I think you have to be a little bit more like sweeping like that because otherwise you're gonna have one page that looks beautiful and then the next page looks uh, like super crummy point. and you're like, wait, am I even inside the exact application here? So unfortunately, I think you can always iterate and improve, but I think with design, you have to wait until there's a cohesiveness across like a whole flow to like push that change. Yeah, I've seen a lot of memes about the relationship between UX and UI and, and you know the importance of UX and how a lot of people just see UX as UI or vice versa. Um, you have to know both, right? You have to be an advocate for the user flow as much as making it look pretty on the screen. Sure, but I think, you, yeah, you do. I think you can have your interest though. If you look at a building and you like, look at like the architect is like the UX person and they're thinking about Okay, what's the ground? What's the structure I'm working with? How soft is the ground? Do I need any more support systems? Um, what type of users are going to be using this? Okay, maybe it's a more uh, this type of population requires more handicap bathrooms. I need these ADA accessible. Um, I want the I want the light. I want the windows to face this direction because the light comes in or doesn't come in. So they have these like big like thinking problems about it. And then you might hire uh, the interior design firm to come in and think, okay, hey, let's make it creative, let's make it welcoming. 
Um, and I think they work in harmony together, right? So I think one's more important than the other one. Um, and I think you can have architects understand design principles and interior designers understand architectural principles of like why we need the support beam right here. Um, but you can have your areas of interest, yeah. Yeah. On the web, there's a little more overlap between like, okay, um, everyone wants to hire these like full stack designers these days, which I'm not sure I like that term, but uh, if you look at the bigger companies, let's say um, Amazon or Google, they hire UX, they hire like design roles. You're a UX researcher. You are a visual designer. You are an animator. Um, but if you look at uh, some of the smaller companies, they hire these like full stack designers, which I think is totally okay because they're not exactly sure what the person's gonna be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. One day you might be leading a customer interview session and talking to 20 customers about what works and doesn't work on the application. The next day you're building wireframes for the next feature. The next day you're inside, um, you know, pixel, you know, doing pixel perfect mock-ups for engineers to say like, I need all these colors. You're also in scrum meetings talking about like, oh, you know, the API returned these three pieces of information. We thought, we thought there was only gonna be four. How should we like rethink the design of that? Uh, kind of looks crummy with this extra. Um, so I think you need that like person who's a little bit more versatile in a smaller organization. And then when you grow into a bigger one, like a Google, right? Then you have the ability to say, okay, you're just visual design. You're just be gonna specialized. have like, you're gonna be super specialized. Was that your draw to Oracle? Um, ability to specialize? Oracle, I think, you know, um, I not, not everywhere at Oracle, but I have a little bit of like a, a broader role. Um, I just think um, I wanted to get back into uh, a larger organization because I just wanted a little bit more stability like in my life. Startups were kind of like up and down and I was working a yes, lot. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> and you work a lot, you know, I think with any company, but I wanted a little bit more stability. But I also wanted to, I was, I kept interviewing at the smaller startups and they kept use these consumer apps that I just knew in my heart. I didn't believe in and I didn't think we we're going to go anywhere. And I was like, look, I, 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 I kind of want to solve like harder problems. Real, um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, hey, like, you come work here at this bigger company, we've got thousands and millions of people logging in and like we can do some like real testing here and real uh, data-driven design work um, versus, you know, it, the, next, the person who's making Shooting this Shooting in the dark, yep. throwing darts at a wall. Where it's like, hey, we got this consumer app and we have 50 out. people that use it a month. What can you make of that? It's like nothing. Part of my <laughs> move to Colorado was the disenfranchise of that kind of startup, fly-by-night, incremental functionality, like hoping that it changes the world type mentality. Um, so I get it. I mean, Fixate by and large is a startup, but a big chunk of our clients are, and it is a roller coaster. There is no doubt about that. So besides the communication between UX, UI, um, how do you see the relationship between design, like actual relationship communication um, between design and back-end developers, or does there really need to be that much? Maybe that's the part I'm missing, because in this whole DevOps movement, it's all about kumbaya, everybody get along, communicate a lot. Yeah, yeah um, I ended up mainly dealing with like the full stack or front-end oriented designers, because they're the people you typically building the interface. Um, and uh, we're thinking about all of those like page transitions. I don't interact too much with like the backend developers as much, thinking of like from a system architecture database. Um, but there's to some extent, right? Because I, I will meet with them and say, okay, we're, we're redesigning uh, this new bicycle right here. 
And here are the components that I, I want this bicycle to have. I want it to have pedals, and I want it to be able to pedal backwards, and um, I'm talking about like high-level problems, and I think that back-end architect is thinking about, okay, in their mind, they're like, okay, we're gonna need like a user table, we're gonna need like right. these join tables, uh, to think about all the different data components that might go into it, and how they start setting up um, that that architect of backend a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure how they're all gonna like work together, but that's cool. We'll figure that out later. Um, but I, it'd be hard pressed for me to like come midway through and be like, hey, the handlebar doesn't need to have two bars; it needs to have three. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa! Like I've already like set everything up right. so it only has two. Um, and uh, that's like we can do it, but that's that's we. I would love to know that up front. <laughs> How involved do you get in the testing then, mm. and the release process? We do like more, not like your like your dev tests, like browser tests, or even server tests. I do like more customer tests. Um, so I look at like analytics, like Google Analytics and Mixpanel, oh. to say like, okay, there's like a four-step flow. There was drop-off at page two. Hmm. Was that because the user didn't want to complete it, or were they confused? Okay, let's look at page two. Huh. They really didn't like this question, or they didn't understand this. Oh, and then maybe then that might lead to talking to like ten users, like on a, a video call, doing like a Zoom call, and maybe there was a trend there. Like seven of the ten said, "Yeah, you know, I didn't really understand what I was supposed to do next, so I just uh, didn't finish it." And it was like, "Okay, cool. Like, let, let's uh, it's good to know. Let's let's rethink that step right there." I remember I have a wallet. We had this onboarding process, and it was personal finance software. And the, when you first logged into this user, it asked you some financial information about like your income and your salary. And I don't remember the exact question, but let's say it was um, something along the lines of like, "Are you married or not?" Um, it was it was like a personal question like that, or like uh, maybe how much income do you make? And um, at the time, this was also like 2010, 2011. People, there was a huge drop off on that, and we're like, "Huh." going on with this and we like talk to people and there was an overwhelming response of I don't feel comfortable answering that question but you're not going to get that unless the analytics will tell you where someone dropped off but not necessarily why wow. yeah right. mm -hmm. so I do a lot more of that type of testing than uh, oh you know we're getting some like 404 <laughs> somewhere interesting because that's even beyond like a adoption and so forth. Do you then have to work with QA, QE to make sure, because like, visual testing is picking up yeah, in a big way too. Yeah, definitely work a lot with QA um, to make sure that, oh, you know, like I clicked on that and there's some like weird jittery behavior here. And a lot of times they won't see it. Um, they'll be like, oh yeah, it kind of like works to the specs, but it's like, uh, but yeah, this, and sometimes too, it's not even the QA's fault, anyone's fault. It's just once we see it live coded, then you're it's like, different. whoa, that, that spec, you know, you, once you start interacting with something, then you're just like, this doesn't feel right, you know, we need to change it up here. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's challenging because then we'll go back to product and engineering and say, hey, we need to change this. And they're like, I'm confused. It works exactly how you designed it. And I'm like, I agree, and I'm sorry for this, but as I start touching it and playing with it and feeling it, it it's, it's not good. Uh, and that's where they're like, <sighs> a little bit of sigh, you know, and most of the time is like, well, let's push out a release and then we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> I think the answer to this is probably no, but do you and Emily ever get in tech fights? 
I don't see either one of you being too intently not, focused on. Not so much. Um, I think a lot of people ask us, of like, oh, do you, like, does she build an app and you design it and you guys are this, like, power couple? And we're like, no, we actually like to, like, garden together or go hiking. And I feel like uh, we've talked about it, like, when we first started dating, let's build something together. But we're quickly like, you just kind of, like, get, like, this, like, fantasy feeling. We're like, no, this just yeah, feels... Yeah, because you're bringing work home yep. constantly. Yeah. So we're like, That's you know what? I, I think we've made this unconscious. We have never said anything. We made this unconscious decision to, like, work is work. And then we have other hobbies to go. <laughs> That's good. We do end up talking a lot about, um, like, trends in the movement and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that was my next question is, you know, what, what are the prevailing... So, obviously, in the back-end dev space... You have DevOps, now AI ops, all this stuff. You know, the world of testing is changing a lot with like functional testing um, and so forth. You know, what are the big trends or major changes or movements you see in the design and UX world? Or tooling even. I think it's designing for like new types of products. So for example, let's look at like the Google Home and Alexa. They don't have an interface. Um, but they still have a user experience, right? You're still interacting with these problems. Actually, yeah. I mean, Alexa even calls, or AWS even calls Alexa voice user interface. Yeah, so they don't have like the traditional GUI, right? Um, and uh, thinking about, okay, this is a whole other way of interacting with a new product that we haven't thought of before. We used to think of like clicks and uh, scrolls. And this is uh, voice commands. And what does it mean when someone is asking this question and they have a pause, or they're they're angry or sad, or you know? And, and there's all these. I don't know if you've done any like research, but there's all these like a lot of like weird built-in things um, uh, into like Google Homes and Alexas for their own like for the users' protection and safety. Where like you know it might record like Alexa has like it records like the last um, couple of seconds after you like start to stop talking to it and it's been used like in court cases to say like hey this, here's exactly what was said during that conversation um and um you know or people now like maybe like you're an elderly person and used to use like that uh I, you know the button that would like yeah. the call for help button yeah uh you know, now are you like hey google home call 911 hey google call 911 right and like what is so thinking about all these like crazy use cases versus I think we think of like the standard use case of, um, hey Alexa, what's the weather? Um, but they need to, if, but even, because it happened the other day, um, I think they call this gap hacking or, um, so our Alexa, for whatever reason, always mistakes our daughter's, no, Siri, sorry, always mistakes our daughter's name, Maisie, for Hey Siri. I don't know why, it's very bizarre. But even a stranger thing happened the other day. I was watching a YouTube video because I, you know, on that train, watch these random YouTube videos. Dude on the YouTube video was talking to his Siri and then it cued our Siri and it was like, so that's like, that's the non-intended person speaking to it and it changes everything. Like, mm -hmm. You have to consider a lot of variables that are, like you said, are natural to us. Yeah, another big emerging thing is since I work in the ad tech space is like this data and privacy and how everything is changing now. Not more websites. If you notice like ever since GDPR, you go to every website and they're like, hey, by the yeah, way, we, we use cookies and yeah. are you okay with that? So I think being very transparent about 
here's the data that I'm asking for. This is how I'm going to use it. So right. even like simple things like your Apple Watch, and it's recording your heartbeat and your heart rate and your location. How is Apple using that? And uh, and whether if you're an app that's going to access that information, it's being transparent with the user about how you can access it, how you can maybe delete it, where it's being shared, um, is another thing to consider like in the design space because we're coming to this. I believe this like apex of um, there's so these big companies like Amazon and Google have so much information um, that people want to understand more about it now. And before I download this new app, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna think twice about the before downloading it and using it um, about my data privacy as opposed to like three years ago. I I probably wouldn't have given it a second thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that I mean. Yeah, we had to, like on Code and so forth, we had to add all that um, good notification GDPR stuff. And it wasn't fun, but it does provoke a lot of very interesting, good, useful, like, data practices going forward. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm sure everybody finds workarounds for a lot of this stuff. And I think you can design, and I think design is a huge component of that, of surfacing that, making the user feel comfortable. Uh, and saying, okay, I, I feel when you feel comfortable with something. Have you ever you ever walked in a place and you just get a bad vibe from it, and you're just right. like, I don't want to be here. Uh, maybe it's a restaurant, or maybe you know someone looked at you the wrong way, and you're just like, eh, this feels awkward. Um, I think I think one of my favorite apps that I use is Headspace, uh, Headspace. the, the meditation app. Oh, okay. Uh, have you heard? Have you heard? No. Of it? Okay, yeah. So I think it's, please. Meditation and me, come on, that'll yeah. never happen. Yeah, so I, I'll tell I, my wife. I've had a lot of like, I've had some like anxiety over the years, and it's really, really helped. Um, and I think prior to Headspace is a very well designed app, and they have all these delightful animations and videos, and it's just to download it just to check out how cute and yeah, will, friendly the I, design is. Because before, I think before that, if you wanted to meditate, you would go to Barnes and Noble. You would like check out a book on a CD about with lotus flowers and uh, mandala flower, you know. And and it was for like a very specific type of person. Their first is uh, Headspace, I believe, has with their like their delightful design has made it so much more accessible and friendly to people who are like, no, 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 all that like hippie stuff's not for me. Versus, okay, I I, I feel comfortable trying this because it, it just feels nice. Right. Yeah, I've abandoned. I've I've given many apps like five minutes, and because of bad UI, I've bailed. Yeah, a lot. And this of isn't times. even. I think it's going beyond the UI. This is giving like that, invoking an emotion in that person to say, "Oh, it just feels like a strong yin, and it feels yeah. welcoming and comforting." You know, when you download an app for the first time, and sometimes they just go right into the UI, and it's like, "Hey, you pick what you need to do." Versus like, they have a slight onboarding process of like, "Here's how you do right. this." You know, here's the suggested way to get started. If you need help, we're here. This is how you could help us. That uh, goes a long way in provoking that friendly emotion with the user, which draws in this like you're building a relationship with someone. So, and, and maybe the answer to this is it's just hard and deal with it. But um, what is a company that is a smaller kind of startup company has a really small team needs to have that type of functionality in their application to? Ensure that they're successful, and, and somebody doesn't leapfrog them. How, how do they? But they don't have the budget. They don't have I the think research. There's simple how things do they, they do? can do. Um, let's even like I've long 
I've logged into a few apps and within like a day or two of signing up, I get, usually it's automated, but it, maybe it's not automated, right? Maybe it's like they're really doing something unscalable and the CEO is sending an, a, an email to every single user that says, hey, thank you for signing up. We really appreciate it. This is what we're trying to do and accomplish. This is how you reach out for help. Uh, being very transparent about, hey, if you need help, here's how you contact us. Um, I think the more you just let someone pick their own path and you don't act like a Sherpa to them, sure, yeah. they're gonna get a little bit of, they're not, it's not scared, but you're just like, you're so much more willing to bail when right. you don't have someone holding your hand and encouraging you to say, oh, no, 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 like, I know it looks like you could go left or right right there, but I, I we should go right and here's why. Uh, and by the way, around the corner is something really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, so sending like an email, being transparent about how you reach out for help, uh, onboarding, I think is such a huge process, whether Absolutely. that's onboarding with a new app or a new feature. Um, when you log into the app and maybe there's something new about it, doing a call out to say, hey, this is new over here. We're not sure if you're going to like it, but this is how you interact with it. Um, and um, if you don't like it, here's how you might say you yeah. don't. <laughs> and there's a lot of like, tooling out there now like Webflow and I think it's Webflow but I know uh, WalkMe where it, it's built just for that like for the smaller startup who wants to integrate that like user directional stuff the problem is kind of goes back to that having a good feel and not like a lurch in your user interface of like whoa this is different is that the walk I'm not going to call them out because it's been a long time since I've used them a lot of these tools I've seen that you just slap on top of your app for doing like walkthrough stuff, it's very clear that it's completely separate. You know, it's a completely separate thing, so it's not fully integrated. So I've never been convinced that that's actually a long-term path. I feel like that has to be a part of the application itself. It can't like be this veneer or layer that sits on top. Yeah, I think, so I was reading this book, um, anti-cancer book, uh, by the sumus physician who ended up, uh, he was a physician himself and he ended up getting brain cancer and he had to select the brain surgeon that was gonna operate on his brain and he interviewed all the ones and in the end, he did not pick the surgeon that had the most experience. Uh, it, he picked the one, or like the, the most credentialed one, he picked the one that made him feel most comfortable and understood his needs and wants and, and actually listened to him as a person. Um, and I think that's what a good app will do is they'll make them, they'll, you feel, uh, they're reaching out to me as a human and I'm not just some other bot. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not just a user that you can just throw away. Uh, I'm a person and I have needs and wants and emotions and it's not just, okay, it works, that's good enough. Yeah. No, because that surgeon who went to Harvard and has 20 years experience, yeah, maybe he's like, ah, oh, I, I, you're number like 200, I can guarantee you'll be a successful 201 versus the guy's like, hey, I haven't done this, I've only done this a few times, but I want to talk with you about your how you're feeling about this. And right. Like, okay. Yeah. And I think the part that interests me the most, because this came up in another podcast, is how to bring that humanness into the application, which I absolutely agree is super critical at scale. And so it has to have that element of the very cold data part with a very like observational personal part mm -hmm. and somehow a large organization has to tie those two together and I think that that's that's tricky to figure out because yeah, it like could just be purely observational and purely analytics where I've seen that's gone wrong and maybe that's what happened at build.com where they interpreted things incorrectly to like 
not being able to address the customer's needs because they're so hung up on and they don't have the data on just like figuring out every nuance of the application and trying to be um, perfection for everybody, you know? Yeah, and I, I look at a lot of the tech companies that I follow on Instagram and I gravitate and feel more comfortable with the ones that have more of a personality and they're like, hey, here's Chris, one of our developers. He likes mountain biking. Here's a picture of him mountain biking over the weekend versus the other, versus like a your standard tech company that's like, we are an ERP system. This is why you should buy us. It's like, okay. Like that, I absolutely agree. That, that just feels like a billboard or something. Yeah. Versus, uh, hey, we actually have humans that work on this product. They have families and, and, and lives and we want to communicate our values and hopefully it picks up on your values. Right. That's absolutely right. Um, we try to do the same in the content world to make it more real versus, hey, here's a piece of content that I hope that you read and <laughs> like it enough that you buy from us. Because yeah. it's not about that. Is Because part of blogging is also showing that you have a viewpoint and you know what you know. It's not just demonstrating you know, and leading just to your functionality and what you do. And I think you can, you can disagree in a, in a nice way. You could say, hey, I'm gonna go against the grain a little bit here, and here's why, versus like, everything sucks. And I think that's what techies expect, is like, if you're gonna argue a point, unless you're on Reddit, because then it doesn't matter, <laughs> but for the most part, like, the reasonable techies expect that, you, that there, there could be some opposition argument, but you have to back it up. There's nothing that drives me more nuts than somebody barking that something's wrong, because it happens a lot in our world with content. They just say something's wrong, but they don't give any direction on the why. Like, I just don't like it. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Drives me nuts, but. And I think the biggest thing, if you, like I, the blogs, the tech blogs that I like, also incorporate, they're kind of like mini Malcolm Gladwells, and they incorporate stories around it. So it's not just like, oh, hey, this, this doesn't work. It's like, okay, I, maybe I get that, versus like, okay, I was up late one night, this is, this is what was happening, Ser server errors were firing, and uh, my wife was frustrated with me because I was keeping every, the kids up, and, uh, and it just makes it more human. Uh, when you like tie into a story about why something did or did not work, and it's like, after that experience, my opinion changed, uh, after I had this like really good experience, really poor experience. That's interesting. Because <laughs> I feel like you know if you read those like Freakonomics or Malcolm Gladwell type books, oh, yeah. they're, they're just like it's probably just, some of the they're just like they, they they take human stories and apply it to boring right. data. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, most techies have no clue how to do the story part, but they get the data part. <laughs> yep, and, it, it, and, it, and I, I don't know exactly where I heard it, but I remember somewhere reading that our brains remember stories much more than if I told you, that's how, there's a good book called Moonwalking with Einstein. And it's about a journalist who went over to the World Memory Championships where they memorized like ones and zeros and all these crazy, and like playing cards. And he was like, how do you guys do it? Are you guys just crazy smart? Are you a savant? And they're like, no, we take random strings of numbers and we incorporate a story. So when it goes like three, two, one, it's like I was with the three bears and there were two trees and there was one house. So they remember a story associated with the numbers and they, they play the story back because we can remember You know stories. what's crazy about that in regards to computing is that it's way more information. Like it's use, it's, it's, it seems like useless information, but in terms of creating context for recall, mm -hmm. it isn't. And that's that's a whole data structure, like really fascinating problem. 
And that's what I try to do with design, is when I'm advocating for a design change or a new feature or some, 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 some design change, I don't just say, hey guys, I want to turn it all from this to that. That's left with questions, smears and you know and people nodding their like shaking their heads versus let me tell you a story about how users are using it today this is what they're doing here's where their frustration is this is where they're dropping off here's where I see a solution uh, and how we design it and this is how we can get into the next stage and how I think this and it's like okay cool I've I've laid some design story versus make it blue instead of red right <laughs> right which I think is the the old way well, Paul, this has been great. Thank you. Thanks for taking me here. This place is awesome. Yeah, and thank now you I know, me. And now I have an awesome place to recommend to my wife, which is other than like barbecue. <laughs> but it's been fantastic talking to you and your wife. And um, yeah, back-to-back -back episodes of Husband and Wife. I'm, I'm excited about that. We'll see if I can make that a trend. Yeah, thank but you for having me. thanks for joining me. Yep.